All right, if you could start making your way back to your seats. If you could start making your way back to your seats. No. If you could start making your way back to your seats. Everybody's just excited fellowshipping. I mean, they're fellowshipping. That's what's going on. <laughs> Ash Bramblet, ruiner of fellowship. That's what they call him. Okay, if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. We've got a small... Um, passage tonight. There's just a few verses that we're going to be looking at. Um, and then actually Brandon Stores is going to be here next weekend, and he is going to uh, preach on um, the next story, which is the story of the um, the woman who comes while Jesus is at the uh, at the Pharisee's house having dinner. This one comes and, and falls at his feet, and I was joking with Brandon. I was like, Dude, you're actually getting like a really meaty passage. Normally, like I give you guys the the, the passages that are really hard to preach because there's just not as much content there or whatever. And so I was like, you get you get the good one this this time or whatever. Um, they're all good, guys. I'm not saying any of the Bible's any worse than anything else. I'm just saying some of it is a little easier to preach out of. So, um, but anyway, so so he's going to be with us next week, and and uh, hope you'll get to be here for that. Uh, so our passage starts in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 31 through 35. And so Jesus says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we uh, we thank you again for this day. God, we thank you for a chance to come together and to, uh, God, look into your word. God, we thank you for your word itself. We thank you that uh, you speak to us um, each day through your word. God, that it's not the only way that you speak to us. Your word tells us that you speak to us through the created order. You speak to us through uh, the moral conscience within us. Um, God, you speak to us through the testimony of other believers. Um, God, we see your working in, in things like history and, and all these different ways. But God, primarily, you speak to us in your word. We have an objective uh, voice um, that we can look to uh, and to know what you think and to know what you feel. God, to know um, how you would have us to live and what you would have us to know. God, what you call us to, what you expect of us. Uh, most importantly, it is the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, and who he is and, and how he has brought salvation um, through his life, death, and resurrection. Father, we, we, as we come into this time, we ask that you would work uh, our, in our hearts um, to, just as we've already prayed, to quicken us through your word, um, that you would shine uh, 
uh, an illuminating light on the text uh, through the power of the Spirit, and that you would shine a light on our hearts and our minds and our wills and our emotions, and that you should you would bring all these things together um, to work uh, whatever it is that you would have in each one of our hearts. God, if we need conviction, then convict us. If we need encouragement, then encourage us. God, if we need to understand something more rightly, God, if we need courage, whatever the case is, we ask that you would work those things in our lives during this time. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you remember when you were a kid um, or maybe uh, when you have kids currently and something like this happens? So you're, you were a kid or your kid comes to you and they say, uh, mom or dad, I'm so bored, right? I am just so bored. Like there's nothing to do. I'm so bored uh, at our house or in this place or doing whatever. I'm so bored, right? Um, I think we've probably all done that. If you're a parent right now and you've got kids who are old enough to know, they, you hear it all the time probably. And so usually what happens is, is parents suggest any number of remedies to that, right? So we say, hey, you know, go play with your Legos or something, right? And they say, oh, I've, I've played with those Legos all the time. Like, I want to do something different. Well, go, go play a video game then. I've beaten all those video games. They're so boring. I don't want to play any of them. Go play a board game. Those take too long to set up. Right? Go play outside. This mom, this isn't the 1800s, okay? We don't play outside anymore, you know? And, and you hear all that stuff. My kids in the back are sitting there looking at me like, that's not what I say. I don't say those things. Um, you've done that. I've done that. We've probably all experienced, um, that at some point. But here's the deal. As a parent, you quickly realize something in the midst of that. What you realize is that your kids are not deprived of activities or opportunities or, or enrichment. Um, the problem is, is they will not be pleased, right? Okay. Um, you, you cannot do anything to make them happy because they will not be happy. Um, they, they refuse to receive it. Okay. Now, um, I think the case is, is that that is very similar to what's going on in this passage. It's similar in a couple of ways because, for one, Jesus talks about these children who are calling to each other and inviting each other into this game. Um, but the idea that is there is, is a little more particular, and we're going to get to that in, in just a second. Because it's something about much more than just kids being bored uh, in, this, in this passage. Something much more important than that, right? And it's, it's about the kingdom. Um, it is about, ultimately, receiving the kingdom and receiving Jesus Christ as well. Jesus says that he's talking about this generation in the passage, okay? So it says, he says, what shall I compare this generation to? And he's talking about first century Israel, right? But but I think we've all probably realized from reading the Bible that typically people are people, right? Um, he may have been talking about that generation, but the fact is, is that people aren't very different now than they were then or ever have been, right? And so the things that Jesus says about that generation are just as is true about our generation. And so Jesus gives this illustration, right? He, he kind of tells this little, this little story. Verse 32, this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. All right, so uh, pretty pretty uh, uh, 
obvious, I mean, uh, uh, blatant what he's talking about. He's talking about this situation where there are these kids in a marketplace, right, in a, in a in an area where people congregate. And they're doing what kids do. They kind of come to this place. I don't know about you. I grew up in a, in a big kind of neighborhood and literally within like a baseball throw of my house, we probably had 12 or 15 kids that were roughly my age. Okay. And so on a, on a daily basis, especially in the summers, all those kids would end up in the middle of this cul-de-sac, right? And we would be sitting there, uh, you know, all getting ready to play or whatever. And then of course the thing would, somebody would say, well, what do you want to do today? Right? What do you want to play? What, 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 what should we get together and do? And that's what's going on in this story. These kids are congregating and then some of the kids, um, give these, these different options, right? Um, they're basically saying, Hey, we could, we could play this game. Okay. Um, and the problem is in the story is that there are a certain group of the children who refuse to participate. Okay. They refuse to respond in an appropriate way to what's going on. Okay. And so, so there's this one person and he says, it, it says he sings, he plays a flute, right? And that's kind of to give us the impression of something jovial and lighthearted and, and, um, energetic and, and something that you dance a jig to. Okay. Um, except the problem is, is this, when he says, Hey, let's, let's play this jig and everybody sing or everybody dance, nobody dances. Dancing would be an appropriate response to that, but nobody dances. They don't want to do that. So then somebody else says, well, how about we sing a dirge instead, a funeral song, right? A song of, of, of sadness and, and somberness, right? Um, maybe then you'll be moved to, to sorrow. You'll be moved to tears. But what happens? They play the dirge. Nobody responds. Nobody wants to do that either. Nobody's interested in those things. The, just like the kids at the beginning, there's something going on where they can't be pleased. Okay, and that, that, that may be true here, but I think there's slightly a, a little different focus. It's not so much that they can't be pleased, it's that they can't be moved. Okay, and I don't mean moved positionally, but they can't be moved in their hearts. They cannot be moved to respond in an appropriate way to the things they are hearing. Their hearts are stubborn, or they're asleep, or they're defiant, or they're fickle or something, but their hearts won't be moved regardless of what they are invited to. So let's think about worship for a second. Like I'm talking about singing song worship, right? So so some music stirs us um, in a way that is more exuberant, right? A more a way that's more energetic. Okay. And so you hear it and it's peppy and it, and it, and it kind of, it's, it's uplifting in that way. Right. And that's, that's one kind of music, right? Other songs have more of a, a contemplative or a, or a, a, a thoughtful kind of tone to them. And they don't make us peppy, but they sort of make us, um, a thoughtful. Okay. And obviously we could debate about the merits of each one of those. And we do. <laughs> If you've, if you've been at this church very long. Um, but that's not the point. Okay. The point is this. What if it didn't matter what kind of songs we sang because our hearts wouldn't be moved in any way by anything we did? Right. Our hearts wouldn't be exuberant for the fast paced kind of song. It wouldn't be, uh, contemplative for, for the other kind of song. What if it didn't matter what we did? Our hearts weren't moved by those things. 
They weren't quickened is the old timey kind of, kind of word for it, right? Stimulated, stirred up in our affections, in our emotions, in our will even, right? To do something. But the deal is, is in this passage, it's about something way more important than musical styles, right? Something way more foundational than, than something like that. It's about what you might say is, is, is two cooperating postures towards God, two cooperating postures of the Christian life as a whole. Ultimately, we're talking about almost like two sides of the gospel. It's about two different ways that God calls people to himself, not opposite ways, right? Two sides of the same coin, you could say. And these two ways kind of rep- are represented in the ministries of Jesus and John in this passage, okay? Because right after he tells us this story where he says there's these two kids, one singing a, a dirge and one playing the flute, uh, and, and you won't go along, then he says about, the, he talks about the two ministries of Jesus and, and John the Baptist. In verse 33, he says, John has come what? Eating no bread, drinking no wine, and what do you say to him? You say he's demon possessed, right? That's why this guy lives out in the, in the wilderness. That's why he wears this, you know, fur tunic or whatever. That's why he eats, uh, bugs and, and wild honey is because he's demon possessed. He's a crazy man. Okay. John lived this austere, ascetic kind of life, right? He lived simply. He lived separated from, from the comforts of this life, um, out in the wilderness. And there was a seriousness to John, right? People recognized that seriousness. Seriousness over sin. Seriousness to repent. I told you last week that I've been teaching a a church history class um, for for our homeschool co-op. And one of the things that we keep on coming to over and over again is how appealing that ascetic, austere kind of lifestyle has been to Christians throughout the centuries, right? And so whether you go back all the way to like the, uh, the people who are called the Desert Fathers, so we're talking about like the 300s in, in Egypt and places like that with guys like Anthony of Egypt or Anthony the Great, um, who's called the father of monasticism, um, or even past that, the Cappadocian Fathers. Um, these were guys in, in, the, in the region of Turkey who, even though they were born into fairly wealthy families and influential families, all of them towards the end of their life start saying, man, I want to get rid of this stuff. Like I want to live in a different way, a a, a monastic ascetic kind of lifestyle where I'm not focusing on the things of the world. I just want to focus on, on Jesus and ministry. Then as the centuries roll on, monastic orders start to pop up, Um, particularly what's called the mendicant monastics, right? Mendicant means begging monastics because what they, they took vows of poverty and they said, I am not going to, uh, uh, do anything to provide for myself, right? I'm only going to take what, uh, is, is given to me through, through charity. And so it's got like the Franciscans and, and Dominicans. We, we sang a song by Francis of Assisi in our worship today, right? Um, all of those lifestyles and things that have been hugely attractive to many people during the history of the church are this sort of austere, separate seriousness about them, right? A desire to repent, a desire to keep the temptations of the world at bay, okay? That's a legitimate angle of Christianity, 
Okay. That is a legitimate angle to, to engage the Christian faith in. Okay. It's not the only angle. It's not the only word to be said, but it's a legitimate piece of it. Jesus sort of has a different angle on it. And again, not a contradictory angle, right? Jesus is not saying something that says that's wrong and this is right, but he's talking about these things in, in a little different way. Because what do we see in verse 34? It says, the son of man, Jesus has come both eating and drinking, right? And what do you say to him? You say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus kind of takes a different tack. He points to the unique reality of his coming, right? His presence in the incarnation and talks about how, man, this is a special time and people should enjoy this time. It's a blessing from God and it's a time to bless God for his goodness and his provision, right? And so we remember just a few passages back when some of the, the, the lawyers and the scribes come to Jesus and they say, how come... Uh, John the Baptists and, and the Pharisees, all these guys fast, but, but your disciples don't fast. Why is that, Jesus? And Jesus says, how can you fast when the bridegroom is present? He's basically saying, would anybody go to a wedding and then be like, no, I'm sorry, I'm at the time of fasting. I'm trying to be all... A wedding's a time of celebration, right? Jesus says, my coming is a time of celebration. It's a time to... And so you see Jesus participating in these weddings and feasts. And he talks about feasts a lot, right? Um, because it's a different angle on these things. So again, I don't want to make a big deal between the differences because again, they're not, they're not competing ways of, of viewing things. They're, they're cooperating ways of doing them. Um, the Christian life is both the thankfulness and blessing, and the sacrifice in in hope, you could say. But that's not really the point. The point is, how are those two things received by the people, right? How do they receive them? How do they, uh, when, when they get this message from John, when they get this message from Jesus, how do they receive them? Because what we see is that ultimately they refuse to accept Jesus and John. They refuse the, king, the kingdom regardless of which side is presented to them, right? It doesn't really matter um, which is the case because their hearts will not be moved. Not by thankfulness, not by repentance, not by God's grace, not by warnings of God's judgment. They're not interested. They just want to keep on doing what they're doing. And in fact, they're not only not interested, they are antagonistic to both views, right? They look to both views. And when John does his thing, he says, you're demon possessed. That's why we don't have to listen to you. And then when Jesus does his thing, they say, you're a glutton and a drunkard. We don't have to listen to you. So they're not only ignoring it, but they are antagonistic to it. But conversely antagonistic, right? They just, it doesn't matter what is said, they're still against it. Now, I'm going to apply this in sort of two different ways. And I'm going to apply it from the perspective of Jesus and John and also from the perspective, you could say, of the people who are rejecting. And just make two comments, and then we're going to be done. I'm not going to keep you too long today. So remember what we talked about last week. The last section we talked about, about faithfulness. We talked about how John the Baptist was in prison. He sends the message, Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we be looking for another? He says that because he's in prison. He's going to die. Um, things are not going to turn out the way he wants. And basically, Jesus calls him to faithfulness and says, 
you're not, it's not going to turn out the way you want, but you're supposed to hold the line, right? You're supposed to not be a reed shaken in the wind, right? You're not supposed to expect that everything is going to go easy and well for you. It's about faithfulness. Well, this passage is about faithfulness too, in a way. Because here's the deal. If people don't want to believe, then they, it doesn't matter what you say, they're not going to believe. Okay? Uh, if people don't want to believe, it doesn't matter if you steer it this way in the conversation or steer it this way in the conversation. They're just not going to believe. They're like the people in this story who won't dance, won't cry, won't be moved in either way. So if the, the, the thing that I would say to you is if you're trying to peddle the gospel, the Christian life, if you're trying to make it appealing to somebody because you're trying to say, well, if I sell it in this fashion, then they'll buy it, right? Then they'll believe it. Then they will accept it. I, I think that's not going to work, okay? I think you're going to miss it because the reality is, is that people, if the gospel isn't beautiful enough on its own, then gussying it up is not going to help, right? Or veiling it is not going to help. Okay. Either the gospel is going to be beautiful and change somebody's life or it isn't. And so if we start trying to soft pedal the gospel to people, then we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble very quickly because here's the deal. And you hear this all the time, man. There's this voice in our culture, in the world, even in the church that would say something like this. Guys, if you don't start laying it off on some of these, these topics, these, uh, these ideas, these beliefs. If you don't, if you don't back off on some of those things, you are going to lose a demographic. You're going to lose a generation, right? There's going to be a whole group of people who refuse to follow Christ because you wouldn't lay off on these certain topics. But I don't think that's going to work. In fact, We've seen it not work actually in the liberal denominations of our country. Okay. Because for the last 50 years, those denominations have said, you know what? Um, we've, we've got to stop with all the exclusivity stuff, right? We've got to stop making it out like, like Christianity and Jesus is the only way to be saved. We've got to back off that because there's plenty of good and godly and faithful people all around the world and other religions. We have to not act like we have the, cornered the market on truth. I said, we've got to back off all of this goofy spirituality and supernatural stuff, right? Because, I mean, who believes in a modern era like this that that somebody had a virgin birth or that somebody was swallowed by a fish or that, or that even somebody was raised from the dead? We can't expect modern people to believe these things. If we don't start backing off this stuff, then we're going to lose a generation um, of people, right? Or probably more particular to our times, issues of sexuality, right? And other kinds of morality. If, if you don't back off these things, right? Modern people are not interested in your sexual rules uh, that are found in the scriptures. The, the sexual rules of the church has always um, uh, uh, upheld. The, the, the rules that we find not only in the teachings of Jesus, but in the teachings of the Old Testament. If you don't give those things up, man, you are going to lose a generation of people. But here's the thing. Those denominations have given up those things, and guess what has happened? They are in free fall, right? Those denominations are collapsing rapidly. 
they have lost half of their membership in the last, say, 40 years, okay? Whereas in churches that continue to hold to the historic teachings of the church, they have maintained their, their numbers. Now, just for the record, that's not a yay us, okay? Maintaining is not what you want to see, right? We want to see growth. There's something that we are missing there too, something that we are not doing, right? Probably that we are kind of circling the wagons and just staying to ourselves and going out and shit instead of going out and sharing the gospel. But the point is, is this, is that in that attempt to try to appease the culture, appease the world, what they ended up really doing is losing the faith. And everybody knew it and everybody watched it happen. And those people who they were trying to win, they didn't win. Because those people weren't interested in the faith in the first place. They had no intention of, of coming to Christ, even if we changed the things we said about Jesus. And so what is my suggestion to you? You're like, well, should I just stop talking to people? Is that what you're saying? That it doesn't matter? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying continue to share and evangelize and live out your witness in everyday life. But the key is this. Be faithful to God, Right? Focus on faithfulness, not on the results of that faithfulness. Focus on following Jesus faithfully and authentically, not on trying to get the results that you're trying to get. Okay? Let God have the results. You believe faithfully, live faithfully, share faithfully, and you let God handle the rest. And if God brings in a harvest, then amen. And if he doesn't, then we'll say, God, that was your decision. Okay, but I continued to represent who you were faithfully to those around me. In fact, that's what I think he's kind of the idea that's in that sort of enigmatic phrase at the end of our passage, verse 35. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What is he talking about there? He's saying you'll see the wisdom of these things as they play out. Okay, so for example, again, with that same illustration, if we went back 40 years and and we looked at a, a Bible-believing denomination and a denomination that said, nah, we're going we're gonna to walk away from these things. Jesus would have said, okay, each of you do your own thing, and we'll see wisdom will be justified by her children. Whatever ends up happening, we'll see who was right. And here we are 40 years later. Conservative denominations are, are maintaining. The liberal denominations are collapsing. Okay? And so what's the case is the children have been... The, the, the producing of those children, the producing of the fruits of, of those efforts have justified the actions, right? We've seen that one of those actions was right, one of those actions was wrong. And yet, in the end, the reality is faithfulness. Just be faithful in both cases. But there's another application, right? Another side of it. And so that's sort of from the Jesus John side. There's another side because we do this all the time, right? When we read a story like this, we put ourselves in the position of the good guys when we go, yeah, all you guys out there, you're the, this is what you should do. But the reality is, is most of the time when Jesus tells a story, we're the bad guys in the story, right? We are the ones on the other side of it. If, if when Jesus is talking about the generation that, that will not dance and will not mourn, he's not, he's talking about us, right? He's not talking about the people out there. He's talking about our own hearts. And so from that side, right, from the person, those, those children who won't be moved uh, in the story side, what, is, what does this passage have to tell us? Right? It's a reminder for us. It's, it's providential, again, I think, that we, this sermon came on Rosh Hashanah. 
okay? Because we have talked about this in previous years, is Rosh Hashanah is the day in the, in the Jewish calendar. It's the beginning of the Jewish New Year. But in particular, it is the time of preparation for the coming of Yom Kippur, right? The day of atonement, the day of the Lord. It is this, it is this moment where the church or, or the, the people of God are called to wakefulness. It's basically a reminder saying, God could be back at any minute. There is a day coming ceremonially in the Jewish year, but in, in the eschaton too, right? In the, in the way the whole universe is going to play out, there's a day coming very soon when, when God is going to return, when Jesus is going to return and he is going to set all things to right. And so there is a warning that is there, right? That right now we need to respond to. So the symbolism there is, uh, and some of you guys saw it when you came in tonight. I laid, I put the shofar out there, right? Um, and the shofar is this big ram's horn. That's the 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 traditional um, trumpet of 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 the the shepherd kind of Israelite um, people. And it's and it's a it's a it's used for various things. It's used as a warning call. It's used to call people to battle. Right. It is used to wake people up. It's it's it has all that picture in it. And the same thing is going on in this passage. Jesus and John. Have come and they have Jesus has come to comfort the afflicted and John has come to afflict the comfortable and you won't hear either of. Right. That's what he's saying. He's saying you won't be comforted and you won't be afflicted. You won't do anything. You won't turn in repentance and you won't turn to grace. We just sit and don't do anything and stall and wait. And for the same reasons that these kids do, maybe. Maybe because they're bored. Maybe because they're lazy. Maybe because um, they're oblivious. Maybe because they just want the status quo. But Jesus is warning us, right? He's warning us and saying, you have been given every opportunity, okay? And the day is coming, this day of Judgment, this day of recompense is coming. So be faithful, right? Do what you're supposed to do. Be stirred by God's grace out of your complacency or be stirred by God's call to repentance and, and, and a recognition of the brokenness and sinfulness in your own life. Be stirred by something, but man, wake up and do what God has called you to do. Turn towards Jesus, turn towards faithfulness and be saved. That's the, that's the call that he has for us in these passages. And so what I want to do as we close today, I just want us to go um, to the Lord in prayer. Again, this isn't our new year. And so it's kind of, it's kind of always a weird thing because I think this, this, it matches the way that we think about our new year a lot of times. People make New Year's resolutions. Um, when we get to the new year, it feels like you're like, okay, we're starting over. Man, I know a lot of us are, are looking forward to 2020 being over, right? Like you're just like, I want this. I get off this train, right? I don't want to be on this thing anymore, okay? And so when 2021 comes along, you're going to say, man, I'm ready to turn over a new leaf, right? I'm ready to start a new chapter. Except the cool thing is, is that in the Jewish calendar, that happens now. That's this weekend, okay? Um, and so it's a reminder for us, even if it's not in our calendar, it is in God's calendar. Um, it is in the Jewish calendar to say, make this a time of turning back to the Lord. Okay. If you've been stagnant, man, I'll be honest. I've been stagnant in my faith, right? I've been stagnant in my study, in my prayer, in my reading. Corona has gotten like all of the patterns of my life off. 
off, right? All of the, the autopilot habits in a good way, right? All the, the normal kind of rhythms of life. Uh, corona has messed all of those up. And I haven't gotten it back, even though we're six months into this thing now, right? Um, I bet a lot of you, I know a lot of you are in the same position because you've, you've shared with me that you are, okay? But this is, this is a time to say, cool, tomorrow, uh, I'm doing something different. Um, I have heard God's call. I'm going to be stirred up. I'm going to be moved to repentance and to faith. And I'm going to follow where Jesus had t- has told me to go. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would do those things in our hearts. You know your own heart better than I do. You know what to pray for in your own heart. Let's take a few minutes and do that right now. Father God, we don't want to be like the, the children in this story. We don't want to be the people who are perpetually, perpetually bored, um, unpleasable, unhappy. God, that we can't be moved, we can't be stirred, that we are over everything, that we see through everything. God, that, that, that it's all passe to us and all so, so common. Um, God, we don't want to have those hearts. We want to have a heart that is renewed every morning, God, a, a heart that is that is attentive to the ways that you are working, whether you are calling us to repentance or you are calling us to thankfulness or you are calling us to both. Um, God, we want to be attentive to those things. Um, we want to feel you working in our lives um, and, and, and uh, recognize your goodness and, and your blessing and your provision as we go day by day. God, help us to do that. We, we pray that things are going to get more, um, more normal. Um, but Lord, man, it just seems like every day, uh, something new happens in the culture that just makes us think, no, uh, we're not, we're not anywhere close to the end of, of this, of this bizarre time that we are living in in our country. Um, God, help us to remain faithful in all these things. Uh, God, we don't want to be people pleasers. We want to be God pleasers. Um, we don't want to focus our lives in a way where you're trying to win the approval of those around us, but we want to live in a way that is faithful uh, to your son, Jesus Christ, and his teachings, and that um, others will look at our lives and, and recognize Jesus Christ in us and be drawn to him, not because of our goodness, God, but because of the goodness um, of Jesus Christ in us. God, help us to do that. Um, help us to be faithful in sharing, in serving, uh, and, and meeting the needs around us. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Design in the light. 
Amen. So this is shofar, right? I'm going to try to blow it. It's hard though, okay? It's either going to sound really good or really sad, all right? And sometimes it sounds both. It starts off sad and then it gets it gets solid towards the end. So, so I'm going to give it a couple tries. Um, and if don't laugh at me, you're already laughing. 
some of you. So, so here we go. Amen. I gotta get I gotta get the, the trumpet piece, and then I'll then it'll be good. Um, good to see you this week. Um, again, it's it's a reminder, right? It's it's a it's a call to attentiveness. It's a wake up call, right? To say um, you don't have to wait for the American New Year uh, to turn back to God. Uh, you don't have to wait for the American New Year. Um, to do the things that you know God has called you to. You don't need to wait for an election. Uh, you don't need to wait for um, something to happen in your life before you say, all right, I'm going to do something now that God wants me to do, right? Um, today is the day of salvation. That's what we have in the scriptures, okay? And so whatever it is that God's calling you to, man, move on it. Um, answer the call and move on it. Uh, hope you have a great week, um, and, and we'll see you again next week. Here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.